Hi, this is Pastor Daniel Bracken. You're listening to Kings Alaska podcast. I hope the word encourages you and you get a touch from God that brings transformation and equips you to experience life with people, power, and purpose. Thank you for joining us. Enjoy the word. Acts 2 and verse 40. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and prayers. Then fear came on every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Verse 44. Now those who believed together had all things in common. They sold their possessions and goods and divided them among them all, and no one had any need. Verse 46. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Let's pray. Father, thank you for what you've done today, this morning, in two services, and now tonight. We could go home. We've already had church. Amazing. You're amazing. So pour out your spirit tonight. Touch every soul, every man, woman, and child. Do what you love to do, God. We thank and praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. We do have notes. I do believe they've been passed out. Seven characteristics of a spirit-filled church. Seven characteristics of a spirit-filled church. We get a, a glimpse of what the church is like right here in Acts chapter 2. I've had people say to me, you know, Pastor, we need to have a church like the, like the Book of Acts church. We do, actually. Uh, we do. You know, we, we haven't had the Ananias and Sapphira event just yet, but, but we do have. Have you guys read the Book of Acts? You might want to read it. We do have what I believe to be a spirit-filled New Testament church, and uh, I'm very, very grateful for that. And all the early believers in Jesus were Jewish. How many of you know that? I'm writing the notes. All the early believers in, Jewish, in, in Jesus were Jewish. And they realized they were entering into the fulfillment of Judaism, the Messianic community. It was this Messianic community. The first, the first church were Jews that had been converted. They received Jesus as the Messiah. So there's no, the, first, the, the early church is all just Jews. Now after that, God adds Samaritans, and he adds the Gentiles. But the first church were all Jews. Luke describes the first spirit-filled church, and you can read right in your notes, the entire book of Acts tells the story of how the church became spirit-filled, grew, incorporated Jews, Samaritans, Gentiles, and how it was structured. And really, in, in most Bibles, it's called the Acts of the Apostles, but really it's the Acts of the Holy Spirit. It's how the Holy Spirit caused the church to grow and flourish and go from Jerusalem to Rome. And it's a beautiful, beautiful story that continues even to this day. God still does miracles. He still heals the sick. He still sets the captives free. And you'll see seven aspects of the Spirit-filled church right from the text. It was a learning church. Everybody say it was a learning church. It was a learning church. Signs and wonders exhorted them, saying, Be saved from the perverse generation. They gladly received the word. When you receive the word, you're learning. Verse 42, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. Constantly learning. A spirit-filled church is a learning church. You don't ever stop. If you stop learning, something's wrong. I remember my biology teacher was like a Savant. I mean, the guy could he could he could read, take notes. He could write with both hands, and he could keep a conversation with you. I mean, that's like it was almost creepy. And we would just be like, he wouldn't do it all the time. We'd be like, do it again, do it, do it again. Livingston Cole was his name, and I will never forget 
him being downstairs in Cluett Hall of a school called Trinity Pauling Schools, an all-boys boys school that I went to for four years of high school. Quite, got a lot of stories from there. And I remember talking to him, and I'm going, hey, I, I just like talking to him. And he was a, a rock climber. He taught me how to climb and belay, and, and it's a fascinating man. And he was brilliant. And I remember saying, you know, well, hi, Mr. Cole. He says, well, how are you doing, Daniel? I said, well, I'm bored. And he would stop. And he would say, is your head attached to your shoulders, son? I'm like, yeah. As long as your head is attached to your shoulders, you should never be bored. Educate yourself. Read. Don't just, don't be, don't waste your time. And I never forgot that. Come on, just see if your head's attached to your shoulders right now. Do, do you know that... You should always be learning. Because well, I don't have any time. Listen, you don't have any time to not learn. It's amazing people that, that do something for the Lord and grow in the things of God. They, they, they're in the Word. They're growing. And the, the early church, the first aspect, these seven aspects are characteristics of the Spirit-filled church. It's a learning church. Is there anybody glad that that? I, I learned a lot last week. Did anybody else learn a lot? I'm, I'm learning this morning. I'm learning right now. Amen. A learning church. The, the second aspect, it was, a, it was a caring, loving, it was a fellowship. Caring, loving fellowship. They had fellowship. Listen, if you don't like hanging around with other believers, there's something wrong with your salvation. First John talks about that. And you know, this church, one of the things we're known for here, and I, and I know because of the guests that come through, people that visit, they all say the same thing. Man, there's so much love in that church. I just feel like I got a big hug from the, from the body of Christ or something. Every time I go there, I just, people saying hi and they're smiling. And you can tell it's genuine. I remember early on in my salvation, I visited a church. I was on a trip or something and visited a church, literally walked in. Nobody said hi to me. In fact, I was pretty sure they turned their backs on me. And I, I went into the back, still nobody said hi. I sat down. And there wasn't that many people there. You wonder why. It was about as, I mean, it was cold. It was like Brother Rigor and Sister Mortis were there. Rigor Mortis. So I sat down and, and worship was, you know, I tried to worship and I did. And then, then the message came and then like the service was over and I was doing my duty and to, to love God and be in church. Not one, not one person greeted me, not one. And I, I knew better just from the kind of church that I'm from. I was in this church, but I was traveling. The kind of church that we are. That's, that's the kind of church the first century church was. The, the book of Acts church, a characteristics of was a learning church. Number two was a loving and a caring, it was a loving, caring fellowship. I loved what uh, Edward said, you know. You started having, or maybe it was your wife, you started having fellowship started getting involved. It reminded me of some, something uh, someone else said many years ago. They said, you know, I came to church here, but it wasn't until I started serving that I really fell in love with Jesus. That's a fascinating statement. Because if you don't ever learn to, learn to serve and get involved in fellowship and get to know people, and you know, then you'll, you'll limit what God wants to do. He uses people. Imagine that. It was a giving church. This text talks about them having... Great generosity. No one had any needs. And uh, you know what was encouraging about reading this and studying this is that these characteristics you see here, maybe you call yourself a spirit-filled church, these characteristics will be in it. It's more than just being, hey, come on, we're going we're gonna to throw oil, roll around on the floor, maybe. Who knows what will happen tonight? We believe in the gifts of the spirit. We're going to prophesy, prophesy already, pray for people. People got healed. Amen. That, that should happen, but it's not just that. Spirit-filled churches, Pentecostal churches, are known for being uh, churches that are not, that don't rightly divide the word of truth. They're, they're known for being slack in their, in their doctrine. Not here. And they have a bad, a bad rap, a bad reputation. Oh, yeah, Pentecostal church. And they, they equate that to, 
and then just running everywhere. No character, no integrity. I'm not saying that people that dance around have no integrity. I'm just saying if you just have that and you don't learn, you're not loving and caring, you could be mean as a junkyard dog. I don't care how loud you clap. I don't care how good you are on the tambourine or how well you can sing. Maybe you can run and sprint and pray in tongues more than, more than Fred Flintstone. How I many you know Fred Flintstone was the first cartoon that prayed, yabba dabba do, man, that's... I'm kidding. It was kind of funny to me. Yabba dabba do, bam! <laughs> bam, bam, you remember, am I the only one? What's wrong with you guys? Come on, somebody say bam, bam. Woo, hey. These are the characteristics right from Scripture. Luke wrote the book of Acts, moved along under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. We read it and see what the first century spirit-filled church is like. It's a learning church. It's a church that was loving and caring and had fellowship. It was a giving church. It was a worshiping church. Breaking bread. You know what breaking bread is? It says right there, breaking bread. They took the Lord's Supper. Communion is what it's talking about. You know, I, I remember years ago I was talking to a pastor and he was telling me, yeah, no, we take communion like once a year. I said, what? He said, yeah, it's just, I don't know, you know, it just seems a little religious. I said, bro, <laughs> and bro, this is part of the ordinance of the church, man. You, got, you ought to take communion. Listen, I think all of you should have, how I many of you got bread at home? All right, even though you're ketoing, you can get some bread somewhere. Amen. How I many of you got bread? You got bread at home? Four people have a loaves of bread at their house. How many of you have a, a, an almond flour wrap? That'll work. How many of you have juice at home? Very good. How many of you have some sort of liquid? then you can take communion. It could be water, grape juice. We don't use wine, so we don't exclude former alcoholics. I don't drink wine. Gave it up long ago. I figure Jesus did. He said, I'm not going to drink wine until you drink it with me in the kingdom. I figure if he serves me a glass of wine when I get to heaven, I'll be enjoying that with him. Come on, somebody say, ha, ah, ha, marriage, supper of the Lamb. Don't have another one. No, it's uh, <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I, I, I thought that was funny. They, they prayed together. <laughs> the worshiping church, they took the Lord's Supper together. They prayed together. I, I, I started to say, you should have communion in your home. If you're going through a hard day or you feel like, man, there's just mud in my house and you pray and you're like just looking for breakthrough and just take communion. You say, well, I don't know how. Well, learn. Shock, shock. It's pretty easy. You just go to 1 Corinthians 11 and just kind of read through that. On the night that Jesus betrayed, he took the almond flour and he broke it. <laughs> and you do it with reverence. You don't need a priest to come into your house. I don't know why I'm remembering. Where's Pastor Vince? Pastor Vince would remember this well. We, we went into, um, we went into in Kauai and... Um, we were in Kauai, we went to the hospital, we were called there because uh, this brother, well, his wife was a part of the church, but he wasn't in the church yet, but he came in after. His dad was going to die, so we raced there to pray for the dad. We got there, and God bless him, the Catholic priest was there with his, have, anybody see, ever seen the last rites box? Anybody ever seen that? Okay, they have like, I don't know if it's, I don't know if they, they get that issued when they become a priest. Everybody gets their little last rites box, or I don't know where you would get one of those. I could probably search on Amazon. Uh, and uh, anyway, there he is, and he's, he's opened it, and he's, he's, got, he's got the cups, and he's like ready to serve the last rite, like the guy's dying. And we came in, we came in there, and I, you know, I guess he was. We came in there, but I don't know, we didn't have death on our mind. Pastor Vince just boldly broke it down the door. And we said, no, it's not time for that. Would you excuse us? We need to spend time with our brother. The guy's like, closed up his little last rites box, 
And, and, you know, he could have stayed, but he felt led to leave, and he did. You know what happened? The guy got healed, and he left the hospital. But there's, there's healing that's released in communion. So you need to understand that. In actual fact, there's death also. Death and sickness is also released through the communion. I'm not feeling the love right now. Maybe you should go there. I've taught you so many times before. But if you take communion like it's a little snack and it doesn't really mean anything to you, it's a good way to drink judgment on yourself. And don't get mad at me. It's in 1 Corinthians 11. So if you know you're going to go back to your... And back... And, and do some other stuff that you know you're going to do, but you're just going to take the little snack because it's a little religious thing, I would highly advise you pass. Better than that, even higher advice would be repent. Repent and get right with God and receive communion and be healed. And there's healing that's released, but it does say there in 1 Corinthians 11 that people have died because they did not discern the body of the Lord. So we're talking about a spirit, seven characteristics of a spiritual church, a learning church. It was a caring, loving fellowship. It was a giving church. It was a worshiping church. A what? A worshiping church. They took the Lord's Supper. They prayed together. You know, I'm so grateful for the fact that we're, we have prayer in our services, before our services, the middle of our services. Seven days a week, we got prayer here. And I'm very grateful. That's why we're still here. See, they met every day in the temple and, in, and going house to house. That's a picture of life groups. It's a picture of teams. It's a picture of gathering. Somebody said, we need to have church every day. We do. It's morning prayer. Where are you? That is church. We gather together and we pray. We are a spirit-filled church. I see these seven characteristics in this house. And that's the way it should be. And if you, if you and there are many pastors that watch these or part of our sermons online and, and um, in different places. If you're taking a look at your church and you realize we don't have much prayer, well, you better change that home slice. You better fix that because prayer is crucial. You say we don't really emphasize giving. You ought to teach on giving. Why? Because people need to learn the how to walk in the blessings of God. I am not intimidated to take an offering. I'm not intimidated. I'm going to teach it. I'm going to model it before you, and I will not be intimidated by somebody who's upset at the fact that I'm going to take an offering, a third offering. God tells us two will take four. I love, I love what Hank said. It was so pure and so real. He said, you know, maybe you're here and you can write a check for the balance. He just said it, matter of fact. You know, that's absolutely the fact. Unashamed to ask, unashamed to teach, unashamed to do it. I had a friend long ago, he went to be a pastor in, in a, another denomination, and he refused to teach on giving because he said, I'm not going to do it. There's too much greed out there. I'm just going to have a box in the back. Now, listen, I'm not against a box in the back. If God tells you to put a box in the back, there's no box in the back here. Oh, our kids have boxes in the back. Children's church has boxes on the walls. Is that right? Yeah, and they, and they give that way, and I think that works well. But I had a friend, he, he, they, they, they went bankrupt. They lost their building. He, he was working like two jobs and doing the ministry, which is nothing wrong with that either, doing bivocational, and, and he was doing that. But the church wasn't growing, and people weren't giving, and people weren't tithing, and guess what? There's no longer a church. Now, I would highly advise that if you do that, pastor, sir, leader, then, then uh, why don't you just teach and let the, let the person who's offended leave? <laughs> you missed a great place. Or maybe, you know, get converted and get rid of their greed. How about that? That'd be good. We should move on to the next point because I'm not feeling it today. It was a joyful, reverent church. It was a... Joyful, reverent church. It, it says it right there in the text. Come on, look with me. Breaking bread from house to house. They ate their food with gladness. Gladness. Does anybody know what gladness? New King James now. Gladness. What's the NIV say? Nobody has the NIV? Is a mute spirit come into the church? I bind it now in the name of Jesus. I I take authority over the mute spirit. NIV says, glad and sincere heart. Does it really? Okay, so you're like, you should just say gladness. Oh, okay, it says gladness also. In other versions, <laughs> you guys are right. 
In other versions, it says joyful. Church should be fun. We're really serious about our walk with the Lord. I think you're too serious. Well, needs to be more reverence here. You know what reverence is? Reverence is an awareness of what the Holy Spirit is doing and flowing with the Holy Spirit. Joy is not, how many of you know there could be somebody laughing and cackling and it could be not be reverent? However, there can also be joy, fullness of joy, and laughter filling your mouth, and it can be absolutely reverent. So what does it mean? Reverence is awe mixed with holy fear. It's a sensitivity to what the Spirit of God is doing. And that's what they were. They were sensitive. That's what we want to be. We want to be, we want to be filled with joy. We want to be filled with gladness. We want to be reverent. I've been preaching uh, rather strongly on Sunday mornings and, um, you know, on Healing America. Pretty intense message this morning, filled with joy. But the other two messages were like, man, heavy duty. And I, I sometimes, I'm thinking, Lord, is this, like, I just want to make sure people don't lose the joy. Yeah, the end of the world is coming. He flooded the earth and he put a rainbow which has been perverted. They tried to steal it. It's exactly what the enemy tries to do, to steal the rainbow. Rainbow is God's idea. And, and then the promise is, I'll never again flood the earth. Hallelujah. Come on, somebody say hallelujah. Right. He's going to come and set it on fire the next time. That's what happens next. In the midst of that, we should be filled with joy. We're not the kind that give up. We're not the kind that don't have hope. We've got joy unspeakable and full of glory. It says in Psalm 16, at his right hand, there's a pleasure forevermore. The enemy tried to rip that off. Some, some, some Christians think that joy and pleasure is not of God. No. Satan serves up the, the counterfeit, but joy and pleasure and gladness is from the Lord. Some people just feel like, you know, you just have to be sad. Turn to Acts 2. <sighs> Shouldn't you watch too much CNN? Joy. J O J J you got the J you got the J you got the O oh you got the O you got the Come on what what's this spell joy joy and gladness and I and I like the sincerity of heart too wow reverence sincerity of heart and if you if you study that it means there's, there's, there's no strife. There's no, it, means with, it means smooth. It means without wrinkles. It's a beautiful thing to have peace with one another. And that's the, the first century church. That's the way it was. They were joyful, reverent, glad, and sincere. They praised God. Look at A. They feared the Lord. Look at B. Fear the Lord. Fear the Lord. And it was a church where miracles took place. I said it was a church where miracles took place. How many of you got touched in the altar tonight? If you got prayed for and something happened, pain left you, glory. Come on. I've had someone say to me, well, you know, we just, we don't want to offend anybody. Still getting touched down there, huh? We don't want to offend anybody. You know what's weird? Let me just tell you what's weird. Somebody told me that we've been characterized as a crazy church. I'm, that's the greatest compliment I've ever heard in my life. That is the greatest. Better, better than be compromised the dead, twice torn up from the roots, compromised, sin-eaten, backslidden, backstabbing church. Amen. 
I will yet become more undignified. What happened for me is I've just, you know, I've seen too much. I've experienced too much. You you can't change my mind. There's nothing anybody could do. I've I've proven it in Scripture. See it in, in Scripture. It's passed through the Wesleyan quadrangle. Just learned that this past week. If you don't know what it means, we'll just move on. My theology is he still does miracles. So in this, this course I'm taking, you had to, had to do this post. You have to interact online with students. One class is my favorite class because the other student I really got the hots for. She's amazing. It's my wife. And uh, <laughs> so we're just two students in the class. It's me and Pastor Karen. So she says, well, Mr. Brack. And she has to respond to all of my posts. And I get to respond to hers. <laughs> I'm like, wow. And so she's telling a testimony about the miracle. I was there. I saw the miracle with her. It's like all kinds, all kinds of awesome. And uh, so it's just a lot of fun. It's two students, and the professor must be like, these guys are acting like teenagers. That's right. <laughs> I shared a testimony. I hadn't thought about it in the longest time. They said, share a miracle that you saw with your own eyes. I've seen so many just here, but this one came to mind, so I wrote this one down. It was years ago when Earl Sh- Evangelist Earl Schombach was preaching. Anybody ever seen Earl Schombach? Yeah, I mean, I don't know what he did, six foot 13 or something. The guy's like really tall, and he wore these incredibly bright jackets. And uh, I, I, it was either bright orange or bright yellow, but I think it was bright yellow. He preached, and that place was packed out. And he was, he was from the latter rain and healing movement, and he was a wild-eyed country preacher Here's a story from Kentucky. When they, baptized, they laid hands on the entire, thousands of people laid hands on the sick, and they didn't have any oil. And so he pulled out money and said, get down to the gas station and give me as many dub- cans of oil as you can. And they went and got motor oil, poured it, in, poured it into a vat, and he's just, hallelujah, <laughs> laying hands on everything, oil dripping everywhere. <laughs> Yeah, you're not going to get that anytime soon. You remember, what's that stain from? My old Schombach meeting I was at. I got healed, though. So he came to our church, and he preached, and it was powerful, and he lined up all these people. And I wasn't an usher, but I was an auxiliary usher. You know what an auxiliary usher is? That's why you're not an usher, but you can usher, and you've seen it. So when bodies start falling left and right, and all kinds of pandemonium breaks out, you get involved. You get recruited. And I'm going to tell you, ushering was one of my favorite things to do. So like that. Because as Schombach would pray, or in any revival setting, when somebody would pray, the usher, whether you realize it or not, the usher gets soaked behind him. And you get to partner with it. And at every person, without getting blasted, like go to the next one, just get touched again and touched again. Well, this is happening, and, I, and we're running, and people are getting touched. Miracles are taking place. But I get behind th- this guy with a twisted spine. who's a Filipino man, and I'm talking majorly deformed. Majorly deformed, okay? Like, majorly deformed, all right? Not a kind of a curve, totally twisted in his spine with a walker, pigeon-toed, very, very deformed, and obviously in pain. I get behind him, and I'm waiting. I'm like, oh, yeah, come on, Jesus. Let's go, God. Do the miracle. Earl Schombach's praying for people, praying for people. He gets in front of this guy, and I'm looking at Earl Schombach, and he looks at the man, and he says, hallelujah. And the guy's all shaking, and he lifts his hands, and he says, wrap your arms around the man of God. I'll never forget this as long as I live. And he puts his hands up, and I think he was 6'5", 6'6", puts his hands into the air, and this crippled man comes in, wraps around his waist with his bright yellow jacket. I'm like, oh, yeah, come on, come on, come on! And he says, oh, God! And the power, he didn't even say heal him. He didn't, that's all he said. The power of God hit him and blew me right off, right off of my feet. That, that crippled guy hit the ground. I hit the ground. I think there's other people that hit the ground too. No, it was like a wave of fire that just came. And there was no standing when that happened. 
There just isn't. I sat up and watched his back straighten out, right on the ground, shaking, violently shaking, and I watched his whole body just go straighten out. And I'm like, oh my God, I was totally freaked out. And, and he got up and he's like, praise God. I was like, yes. Has anybody seen miracles like that? Miracles like that happen, but you got to contend for them. I've been semi-concerned, but I'm going to trust the Lord in the process. You know, you're preaching messages like I've been preaching on Sunday morning. I'm going after the nation. I'm going after the heart of the issue. And it's not really a revival setting in like we're about to have where we're laying hands on people. People are getting filled. And I just thought, my God, Lord, help me. Help me. I don't want to just be a preacher teacher. I don't want to be the God. You want to summon your power and let the wind of God blow through a place. And that can happen sovereignly. But more often than not, I've found that miracles are not released unless you get after them. And don't, don't ever base your theology on, on an experience that you never had and say that it's not true. So you've never prayed in tongues, so tongues don't exist. You've never seen a miracle, so miracles don't exist. Who made you God? Not God. And so people insulate themselves from powerless Christianity through false theology based upon their experience. Don't ever base theology on your experience. You base theology on the Word of God. And if your experience doesn't line up, the Word of God is not the one that's wrong. Well, I've never had anything happen. Well, take a look at yourself. Could it be? Could it be you haven't fully repented? Could it be you have some secret sin, ma'am, sir? Could it, could it be that he told you to do something, but you refused to? Oh, I'm reminded of, I'm reminded of uh, something. Azusa Street. I've told you the story before. A man from North Carolina came and he wanted the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Only one big problem for him. He's a racist. So he went to the meetings. He never felt God's presence. Nothing happened. He saw all kinds of miracles, people getting baptized in the Spirit, praying in tongues. He would be in the upper room. How many of you know that the story of, of, of um, Azusa Street, they would pray... And after the prayer meeting, they would go downstairs and have church. And the prayer meeting was, like, amazing. So he was in all of those prayer meetings. He's there for a solid week, and he did, nothing happens. Nothing. Nothing. And he says in one of the meetings, the Lord says, go and have William Seymour pray for you. And he said, I'm not having any black man lay his hand on my head. And the Lord said, then you're not having any power from me. So he sat for a whole nother week, stubborn racist. At the end of the week, God took him apart. And he, he just repented of his racism. He came up front. William Seymour laid hands on him, and the fire of the Holy Ghost filled that guy. And he planted churches all over the South. And, and they still exist today. I've forgotten the name. It's just a part of the history of Azusa Street. And miracles should happen in church. I had somebody say, well, they should happen in the side room. You know what happens if you just relegate miracles to the side room? Soon, the side room doesn't exist. It's a witnessing church. Look at number seven. So seven characteristics, and then we're going to apply it. A learning church. What kind of a church? A learning church. It was a caring and a loving fellowship. It was a giving church. It was a what? It was a worshiping church. It was a joyful rep. Do you guys have notes? Are you filling in the blanks? Okay. It was a joyful, reverent church. It was a church where miracles, what? Church where what? Miracles took place. Should miracles take place here? Miracles should take place. And I think it's weird and strange and odd and perverse when miracles don't happen, when churches don't learn, when churches don't have joy. I had people say to me, I can't come to your church. I said, I'm so sorry. What? Is, is, is everything okay? It's just too happy. 
I'm like, what? I, I mean, what do you say to that? Oh, forgive me for being. I started to try to like repent. I thought the Lord's like, ah, ah, ah. <laughs> you're just way too happy here. I can't go to here. I need more misery. Okay. It's a witnessing church. These seven characteristics you see right in the text, and they are the seven characteristics of a spirit-filled church. So if you say that you go to a spirit-filled church, talking to those online, obviously those here, you realize this is happening here. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? There's this ambiguous kind of, we're spirit-filled. Well, what does that mean? It means these seven characteristics. And yeah, the baptism of the Holy Ghost, I'm going to get there. But a lot of people say, well, we shone the shuba. Bam. We pray in tongues. That's good. Do you, you pray in tongues to hate each other? Do you, <laughs> is there joy? Is there joy? All right. God's speaking to us. I think the first thing that I see here that I've put in the notes is be committed. You want to be, be a spirit-filled believer Part of a spirit-filled church. Seven characteristics, applying them now, be committed. If you're not committed, you're not going to see anything. I can't tell you how many times. Well, there's so many services. We have a lot of services, and we'll have more. And we'll keep having them. You know, we're going to move into our building, and, and, and we're going to quadruple in size probably within a very short period of time. And then we'll go to multiple and multiple services. And I think that we'll grow. We're going to reach 10,000 people. That's what we're praying for. Praying for a tithe on the community. How many of you think that'd be all right? It's really sad. I mean, what are the other 90,000 people going to do? Thank God for other churches and other visions. Praise God for the body of Christ. You say, well, that church is too big. For what? There's 100,000 people. You do the math. You figure it out. You figure out how many people out of 100,000 are actually born again and going to church and getting disciples. How many? Give me a good guess. 40,000? Let's be generous and say 50,000. And there's no way but we'll just be generous for the sake of the argument. What about the other 50,000 that we still can't fit in the building? I pray more churches come. I pray this place packs out with spirit-filled, on-fire Bible teaching, demonstrating, miracle-working, glad-filled fellowships all over the place. We need them all over the state, all over the nation. Be committed. Everybody say, be committed. And you heard tonight by the testimony of some, but when we... When we got involved, we weren't just hanging out. We, we started getting involved. We said, go to the Discover Track. You haven't been to Discover Track? Go. Precious man, right there, right off the... Here, wave at me so you, you know I'm talking to you. Yes. The Lord says that uh, I, I brought you here, and uh, I'm opening your eyes to some new things. And this... Bend in the road. If you'll just stay the course, you'll find yourself on the other side of the mountain. So don't let up. Don't be discouraged. Don't be weary in well-doing, for in due time you're going to receive a harvest. God's going to encourage, he's encouraging you through this word. And there's some visions and hopes and dreams that you have that have been stalled, uh, even in a structure that is outside. Uh, are you a pastor? No? A structure outside of this structure and God is summoning you and calling you to a higher place. And this word comes to you. I don't know you. I've never met you. Is that true? Is this a true word from God? It is. And he wants you to know he has your number. And when the time is right, not many days from now, you're going to see it. And the gate will open. The flood will come. And you'll be moving on into the dream and the hope and the vision. Be careful. Hear me. Be careful those who you align yourself with because not everybody is all in agreement. Without agreement, how can two walk together unless they be in agreement? Agreement and unity is key. And the vision and the dream that I've given you is going to require others. And so I'm going to help you with that, says the Lord. Amen. Amen. That should, be, that should be normal. It should be normal that someone prophesies. It should be normal that someone gets healed. It should be normal that there's happiness and joy, unspeakable and full of glory. But if you're never committed, I, I've preached messages that people needed to hear, but they didn't come. Well, thank God you can go back and listen to it later, but be committed. Live out the seven characteristics of the first church. Be a disciple. 
a student of God's word. Everybody say, be a disciple. Be a student of God's word. Study it. Learn how to study it. I was so proud of our, our students in the summer lit. Lit. Everybody say lit. Oh, that's lit. That means like legitimate. But we took lit and, and we, we used it for a, I don't know, one of those, what's it called? An acronym. Thank you. Some of you don't know that Minister Micah is the acronym king. Lit. Leader in training. Summer lit program. And they learned to pray the word this past week. So on, I think it was on Friday morning, they're, they're, coming to, they're coming to our morning prayer time, and a number of them got up. We do this rapid fire Friday, we call it, where we pray for the lost. And they had scriptures. They started praying. And when they started praying those scriptures, it was like the room turned. It flipped. When you pray God's word, there's no more powerful thing to pray. They learned to pray God's word. Isn't that beautiful? They're getting discipled. They're getting discipled in passport. I'm discipling you right now. But if this is the only food that you eat all week long, you're probably going to be anemic. You've got to learn the word. Get in a life group. Be a part of a team. Resource yourself. Be a disciple and student of God's word. Care for others. Look at two. This is what they did. It's what we do and what we should do. And some of you might not find yourself in all in the spirit-filled mix. Care for others. Do what? Care for Take time. Make this church a church that loves people with true fellowship. Go to lunch with someone. Take someone for coffee. Get to hear their story. Every single person here needs to share their story. Do you know you need to tell your story? I was talking to some, encouraging them to testify. I said, testify. Punch the devil in the throat. Testify. What's he done? He said, you know you were jacked up. You ought to tell somebody you're free now. If you are, if you're not, then, then stick around. Care for others. Be a giver. Everybody say, be a giver. Honestly, the, the resources being released through this house is nothing short of a sign and a wonder and a miracle. It's amazing to me. Givers gain. Would you say that? Givers gain. And four, truly worship regularly and pray. Don't come to church on Christmas and Easter. That's a creaster. That's not you. That's not a Christian. That's a creaster. Christmas and Easter, it's a joke. You can laugh. It's a place of gladness. Don't come to church two, time, two times a year. Well, that's me. I only come two times a year. Well, maybe you should change that. Not maybe. Actually, you should. Get, here's some good, sound pastoral advice. Be committed. Come regularly. You, can't, you don't breathe two times a year. You don't eat two times a year. Some of you eat a whole lot more than that. Be committed and be faithful and be regular. I love what Tiff Shuttlesworth said. He talked about Sunday. He, it's a, he has a covenant commitment with God. On Sunday morning, he's going to church no matter what. He's going to be in church. Do you know, I, I believe that. Church isn't some optional thing. Well, my 10-year-old doesn't want to come to church, Pastor Kirsten. What? Do they go to school? Well, they're going to go to King's Christian school. <laughs> We've had, that. We've had this happen. Oh, my 10-year-old doesn't want to come to church. So he's rotting his brains, playing some video game, talking to some stranger on a mic online. I'm not feeling the love. I think I'm going to go over here. And we've had people to say, well, they, they, he doesn't want to. Since when does a 10... One, does a one-year-old, do you make decisions for your one-year-old? Yes. Two-year-old? Yes. Three-year-old? Yes. Four-year-old? Yes. Five? Yes. Six? Yes. But they're starting to, come on, they can do some chores at five, four, and five, and six. You can, come on, you can clean up. You can get going. Four, five, six, seven, eight. They start, they start learning. They start growing. Amen. Nine, ten, they, they get increased responsibility, increased responsibility. Ten, eleven, twelve. They, are they on their own? Can they drive at twelve? No. So you keep elevating them, you keep giving them responsibility. They don't make decisions for themselves. At well, I just feel like that's what they should do. They should just make up their own religion. So what kind of insanity is that? You also been watching. Some nonsensical show. I just feel like 
they should just follow their heart. It's deceitful, wicked, and black, and they'll destroy themselves. So if you'd like a prison ministry, then go ahead and do that. A heart of sorrow and sadness and weeping. No, you lovingly make them come. And they learn and they grow. Can you say yes? Pay $1,000 to send them to hockey camp. You can't spend a couple hundred dollars for a youth, a children's camp. Am I bothering you yet? Not you, because you guys are Sunday night. You could be riding your wheeler and you're here letting me holler and encourage you. Amen. I'm honestly preaching the choir. Seven characteristics, living out the seven characteristics of the first church. Be a disciple, a student of God's word. Care for others. Be a giver. Truly worship regularly. Everybody say regularly. Be joyful. Praise God. Yet fear God and hold him in awe. Be happy. <laughs> Be happy. You got, listen, you're not going to hell. You're going to heaven. It's okay. Everything's going to be all right. Be joyful. If you don't have joy, I don't know. There was, a, there, was a, there was a phase a while back with intercessors. We have a lot of intercessors, and we love intercessors, and we acknowledge we acknowledge people called to intercession, and I thank God for all of you that are interceding and praying because without it, we would not be here. But there was a phase that took place where intercessors were miserable. Does anybody remember that? Well, I'm just carrying the burden of the Lord. My God, why don't you give it back to him? <laughs> now, there's seasons. Are you okay? Yeah. Uh, just really praying, breaking through. And you know, they, every time you see him, praise God. You know, there are moments of when you're on your face and you pray through and you come up like this. Because you got the victory. I, I don't want any intercessor praying for me. I got to be careful. I mean, like, I don't know. It's scary. Somebody that never comes out from under the burden. They look like they're baptized in lemon juice and their face is all contorted. Look 20 years older than they actually are. And then you wonder, actually, where's the, that, then many, many folks like that actually don't have any miracles. Listen, if you pray and nothing happens, something's wrong. Because the God of the Bible, when you pray, he hears, he answers. So if that's not happening, sir, then you might not be treating your wife with proper respect. That'll hinder your prayers. Sin will hinder your prayer. I don't think it says in Isaiah... Joyful in the house of prayer. There is joy, joy, joy in the house of prayer. And that's a characteristic that we have here and we're going to continue to cultivate it. Six, believe for miracles. Believe for miracles. Worship team, please. Can you pick some joyful miracle songs? All right, very good. Believe for miracles to take place every time we gather, every time we gather, every single time, Pastor, every time we gather. So you might not know it, but every time we meet, demons are being broken off people. It doesn't have to look all ugly with a snake on the floor, that kind of thing. It doesn't have to be that. Oh, that, that, that can happen. But even now, as I've mentioned it, I bind, gag, and muzzle every manifestation of darkness in the name of Jesus. You can have a clean deliverance. And sometimes it requires a little bit of extra effort. And there are grandstanding demons. How many of you know what that means? That means like they want to manifest and throw a fit in front of everybody and take the attention off of Jesus. I would highly advise that uh, you don't do that because we will minister to you in a back room. That will be back room ministry. We have, we have ushers and security that will usher you out and we will pray for you and you will get delivered or you'll leave the property. So it's a church. I can stay here. No, you can't. Not, not if we kick you out. You go read the sign on the way in. We reserve the right to serve anybody we want to. If you want to cause a problem, we will be a problem for you. A loving problem from heaven. Amen. I've, I've said to people that, that, are, that are manifesting and doing things at different times throughout my 20 plus years of ministry. I just tell them, do you want to be delivered or not? And they're like, you know, dropping bombs and cursing. I said, okay, you have two more chances. I'm going to be kind. I'm going to ask you again. Do you want to be delivered? Yes or no? Oh, you guys. Oh, oh, oh. Okay, last time, last time. Do you want to be? Oh. Then we're ministering to them. They're out. They're gone. They go. The 911 is called. They're on the way. Police are on the way. Get off. 
my property. So that's not very loving. It's very loving, actually. Should we let somebody come in and just ransack the place, cause all kinds of damage? No. You know, Hallelujah! We have order here. We love people. And we love you enough to kick you out. And we love people that are here enough to, to make sure you don't run your shenanigans. And of course, there's probably nobody here that's planning to do anything crazy. I had somebody come. And I, I hope he's listening, but I don't think he's here. And if you are, then... You could just take the loving correction. They came and introduced themselves as a prophet to me. Well, I found that to be interesting. I mean, it's pretty bold uh, to say. Even prophets, I know, don't usually introduce themselves as prophets. Let somebody else call them that. So it's prophet. I'm like, oh. And I think he saw me take a big sigh. He says, don't worry, I'm not going to prophesy. I said, that's good. Where's your church? Oh, church. I'm like, no, 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 no. Where's your church? No, they're all my churches. Say, do you have a pastor? No, no, I just prophesy around. And he's well-meaning and just not discipled. That's not a biblical model. Right, so I checked and discerned and thought, all right, okay, you're not going to prophesy. Don't cause a problem. Okay, I won't. I'm just going to be here. All right, let you come on in. You know, we're supposed to love people. We're supposed to love people. I said, we're supposed to love people. But at the same time, there has to be order. Many times there's not miracles in churches because there's so much strife and unbelief. There's so much strife and unbelief and so, there's so much chaos and lack of order. I mean, the Holy Spirit wants to move, but there's, there's, there's sister, sister bucket mouth on one side and brother backstabber on the other and they, they hate each other and that family over there and I can't... <laughs> stole their stuff and you scratched their car on the way out he doesn't serve God she's a hussy I saw him looking at my husband oh am I the only one that has seen some of this stuff in different places you know you, you know what I'm talking about now that doesn't happen here that we know of and if we did know about it we would help and enter it. you have peace with one another have peace maintain it I said maintain it that requires confrontation I hurt somebody just today I didn't mean to I love what Toby taught me the minister Toby taught me charge it to my head not my heart how many of you make mistakes sometimes you did the wrong thing you hurt somebody if your heart wants to hurt somebody you need to be delivered but, you know we're all learning we're all growing miracles are released in an atmosphere where the Holy Spirit can come and rest you got to contend. you got to fight for it. you got to pray for it. Testify to what God has done for you. Testify. These are the seven characteristics applied. Lastly, C. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. I ramped all that seven parts up on purpose because so many people just think it's being filled with the Spirit. It's not just being filled with the Spirit. It's all of those characteristics. All of them. Well, I hope you were encouraged by God's word. Thank you again for listening to Kings Alaska podcast. God bless you. For more great content, go to kcalaska.com and may God's face shine upon you and give you peace.